No Accounting for Taste is brought to you by the Accounting Excellence Awards. Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Coming just six months after the chaotic mini-budget, the spring budget was typically unflashy fiscal conservatism from Jeremy Hunt. Dubbed the back-to-work budget, Jeremy Hunt used what limited fiscal wiggle room he had to focus his speech on growing the economy and, of course, rejecting the narrative of decline. But all the talk of this being more of a steady-as-she-goes budget rather than big tax changes that excites us in the AccountWeb newsroom, make no mistake, there were plenty of announcements that raised eyebrows. He lifted the cap on tax-free pension contributions, froze fuel duty, and unveiled the 100% full expensing tax relief, but he didn't budge on the corporation tax hike. And he also planted a few seeds for the government's 2024 election campaign. So on the show today, we will be reviewing the speech, looking at the devil in the detail of the budget red book, and highlighting what the announcements mean to you. I'm Richard Hattersley, and welcome to No Account for Taste. On the programme today, I am delighted to be joined, as ever, by my co-host and Account Web technology editor, Tom Herbert. Hi, Richard. Hi, everyone. And Hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you I'm for having me. I'm also pleased to welcome back to the pod room today, Beth Steer. Beth is a head of content at Practice Web. Hello, Beth. And later on in the show, we will be delving into the Red Book and looking in depth at the back-to-work tax measures with our expert panel. But before we do that, there's plenty to talk about the actual budget speech itself, the theatrics of the budget. Of course, we have PMQs at 12, then into half 12, we kind of see the Chancellor there shifting around in his chair, looking rather nervous, rehearsing the speech as he's going over it. So... Tom, first reactions from the budget yesterday. I kind of said in the intro there, it was unflashy um, and steady as as she goes kind of budget. And I don't know, it seemed very much like that. There wasn't much fireworks, certainly in the speech itself. I think that is kind of inevitable, both in terms of the uncertain economic backdrop, but also for the foreseeable future, every budget is going to be conducted under the shadow of that dumpster fire that was the mini budget last autumn. You know, I, I, it's one of those we'll be talking about for decades to come on these things. Um, so there, there were complaints about leaks from tax commentators and and and, and the like, but I mean, it, I guess it's. Uh, I mean, they were almost like official announcements, weren't they, the, the leaks? But uh, yeah, everything was checked with the OBR, comp- copious references made to the OBR that, that they'd been involved all the way through, you know, all designed to give the impression of calm reassurance to the market. You know, we're not a bunch of chances rolling the dice on unfunded surprise tax cuts. You know, this is this is it. So, you know, I, I think they were prudent. There was a lot of prudence in there, the, the efforts to tackle the labour shortage with, with supply-side stuff. I mean, obviously, the, the, the childcare fee subsidies um, kick in properly a few months before the next election is due. But, you know, so there's obviously a political element in there as well. So, yeah, the, the, and, and a lot of the measures, you know, I think there was um, 
a bit of disquiet about the, the, the super deduction going, but uh, you know that that was sort of replaced, uh, or, or at least in part replaced. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was sort of cautious, uh, cautious prudence. Um, I'd, I'd probably say a step in the right direction. Yeah, it's funny you should say that about kind of the um, overemphasizing the OBI and kind of um, making sure that that's mentioned, of course, to restore that market confidence. It's a bit like uh, taking a driving test and overemphasizing checking the mirrors, wasn't it? Kind of make sure everyone at the back, everyone in the cheap seats know we are <laughs> looking at the OBI. Yeah, uh, they had to do the three-point turn. They had to do, <laughs> had to do the statement. No, there, there was plenty of U-turns happening over the past few months, so they don't want to do any more of those. Beth, what's your thinking then on this budget? First reactions then, was it similar to uh, Tom's thoughts of it being very prudent and maybe more of a step in the right direction compared to uh, the mini budget, which, as Tom said, we'll all be talking about that in years to come. It'd be like, where were you when Quasi Quartain abolished the OTS or <laughs> announced all of these measures? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think so. I, I think in terms of where we were, you know, I remember being in the room when we were um, with a team of writers getting ready to write the, the report for the mini budget. And the, the difference between that and yesterday is quite astounding. Um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, it was... It was very heavy on kind of, as you said, Tom, reinforcing, you know, we've gone about this the right way. We've got all the predictions in place. We're, we're sticking to the plan and the plan is working. It was very, um, yeah, kind of cautious and, and trying to reassure, I think. That being said, though, though, it did get a bit rowdy at points, I think. Um, you know, when there was there was one point when the deputy speaker told a particular MP to stop it in a very kind of headmistressy way. So I suppose it was... It was interesting in that sense. There were a few things. Obviously, there were lots of leaks, which I know we'll talk about in a sec. So we knew most of what was coming. But there were there were a few bits. I think he tried to work some gentle theatrics in there. And there was sort of kind of echoes of the, you know, people want me to do this, but I'm going to go one step further rhetoric that we've had in the past. But I think overall, yeah, it was it was much more muted than what we've had previously yeah um hunt he it, it was very straight for the most part um there was a couple of jokes which he did try to throw in as we're talking about the theatrics and there's one which probably didn't go down too well with uh, the deputy speaker when he was talking about over 50s coming back to work and uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that was certainly when we all sort of looked at each other aghast in the room when we were like, did he really just make a reference to that? And yeah, he sort of, it didn't even show her face on camera. So yeah, I think that was an interesting, felt a bit like a wedding speech, didn't it? Where like a, a joke just doesn't quite It was quite a, hit. the intake of breath as he insults the deputy speaking. <laughs> but uh, uh, Tom, the, the actual theatrics then, Hunt as a performer, we can compare him to previous chancellors. We had Rishi who... Yeah, we're kind of seeing him every week in PMQs, a very polished performer, someone who does his homework, a, a bit like someone there working late into the night to make sure that they've rehearsed everything and is, is on the ball. Compared to those, how do you think Hunt stood up? Yeah, I guess he's trying to channel the spirit of uh, uh, Philip Hammond, I guess, a spreadsheet <laughs> Phil with, with with the dad jokes. I'm I'm, I'm afraid uh, I'm afraid Philip Hammond sort of edges it for me. Um, I I thought that yeah, Hunt Hunt's jokes didn't really quite land in the same way. Um, I I don't know. I I think the speech was an hour. Um, 
I don't think it was very well balanced in terms of the content. There was a lot of economic waffle. There's a lot of Yabu politics. It, it got a bit ludicrous. It, it felt like any moment it was like, oh, well, we're giving 60 million to swimming pools. The opposition, they're going to drown kittens in swimming pools. <laughs> you know, it, it got to that stage of just, oh, come on, you know, let's just focus on what you're going to do rather than what the opposition aren't going to do. And there were concrete policies that that there was detail in the red book that came afterwards that that they didn't mention so you know things like changes to share schemes inheritance tax that that kind of thing but you know obviously (laughs) we're from accounting website we would say that wouldn't we but if you look at what our our readers are interested in what, what what they click on it's not the economic stuff. It's it's what affects them, what affects their businesses, what affects their clients. So while it's nice to get a bit of economic mu- music, um, considering that the OBR forecasts are notoriously wonky anyway, I, I, I think maybe de-emphasizing that next time. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I've talked on this podcast before about the, the caliber of politicians dealing with tax policy and. and I kind of feel if you don't have the chops to deal with tax policy, hand it over to someone who has. And I think that puts the scrapping of the OTS in even sharper relief. Beth, any thoughts from the uh, the performance of our Chancellor? Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree with you, Tom. It, it did feel long. Um, you know, it was, I, I think... It was it was just over an hour, wasn't it? And it did feel at one point. I think I glanced at my glanced at my notes, and I had like pools, potholes, and like British pubs written down. It felt like it was a bit unwieldy in some ways. Um, yeah, I, I think the focus was probably slightly wrong, as you say as well. Like the, some of the detail and the stuff that we know actually people are going to be really interested in. Certainly, Practice Web's clients and their clients um, wasn't really you know talked about at great length. So. I think also there was, and it's, I suppose it's classic, but there was quite a bit of focusing on some stats that, yeah, they sound, you know, they sound like it's quite impressive or it's not going to affect that many people. So the classic one with the corporation tax saying, well, you know, it's only going to affect 10% of businesses um, will we'll be paying the new 25% um, rate. But without mentioning, mentioning obviously, everyone in the in-between, the 19% to 25 So I think, yeah, it was very... Um, I suppose very focused on the on on the reassurance piece and the economic outlook without actually getting into some of the details of how these things are going to be put into practice. I would say. I think you both mentioned good points there about something uh, around will it actually affect me? How would this affect me? How would this affect small businesses? And that's something that's come up quite a lot actually in the comment sections on Accounting Web. A couple of comments I pulled up. Uh, Jason Croker, a contributor for Accounting Web, said not seeing how this budget is good for growth of business. Lots of focus on personal tax, lifetime allowance and personal tax threshold. And apart from the R&D stuff, not seeing how anything can encourage an SME to grow. Jennifer Adams, another contributor on Account Web, says something quite similar. Uh, I'm searching, but I can't find anything to help those businesses which are supposedly the backbone of the country, SMEs. I think that's something which I kind of took away from this, although there was lots of uh, high points as well as Hunt kind of talked about the, uh, uh, the pensions and, and what he was doing there. Um, for those SMEs, I guess they're going to be coming out from this, Beth, kind of thinking, well, what about me? What What is actually announced here that I can uh, benefit from? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, a lot of the content that we create for our accountants clients and lots of them are SMEs and they want to know about R&D and they want to know about expenses and all of that stuff and I think 
it was it was really glossed over um and even the personal stuff even the pensions things I think the proportion of people that it's actually going to be affecting it's it's not going to be you know small small business owners or lower earners it's it's not it's I think they were presented as quite broad sweeping headlines that would be beneficial for everybody and actually when you dig into it even very slightly it's, it's not really the case so I think yeah it wasn't um particularly targeted at at that audience at all it, it didn't make it clear this is what we're doing to support as you said one of the one of the commentators you know the businesses that form the backbone of the economy didn't dig into that really i think more than anything this budget was kind of different when we're talking about the the presentation of it was the leaks tom you mentioned it at the start there we had all those leaks but they were kind of different this time they were presented as like official press releases like days before the actual budget so we, we knew everything mostly in advance there was no real big surprises because They'd been well briefed, and this is kind of different to like, previous budgets where we've had most of all this, that stuff kind of splashed on the front pages of, of the uh, the Chancellor of the Day's favourite newspaper. But, Tom, it kind of makes the way that we approach the budget slightly different because everything's already out there. I guess all the excitement is already gone, but I guess since we have the uh, mini budget to reflect on and all of that rug pulling exercises that was that was there. I guess it kind of makes sense to have this again quite stable, um, no surprises happening here. Yeah, one of the first one of the first budgets I I covered. I think they talked about having a more grown up, long term approach to tax policy, and that that hasn't worked out for them. Uh, but I think that uh, I don't know. We we obviously as as members of the press we get sort of embargoed releases on on some some of the policies so we can sort of take a look take a look through them this time around and what one of the new things uh they, they're doing now is to send stakeholder reaction as well <laughs> so they've obviously gone around and briefed their friends at various bodies and organizations to to tell them how great these policies are going to be <laughs> um, you know but uh the, the it's only being presented from one side and one of the interesting points for me straight after the budget is to just jump on social media or get get the press releases people start digging into their red book start digging into the utla and actually grasp some of that detail and that's where you find some of the the sort of nuggets that that actually are of interest to our readers and do answer the questions that we've been talking about before of how how is this going to affect me it's kind of the the government setting the narrative um, ahead of time before people's able to, uh, as you said, delve into that red book. Uh, Beth, any any thoughts there on the leaks? I think I would agree. It wasn't particularly like salacious or anything like that. You know, it, it did feel very sort of carefully issued. And yeah, I, I think it, it felt different in that sense than what we've had previously, you know, and, it, and it, I think, again, it's that drip feeding of stability and what people can expect rather than... Um, you know, massive U-turns or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I would agree with both you and Tom on that. So, Beth, if, if you're an accountant, you kind of, you've watched the speech, what's kind of like the next stage? How can you kind of make the most out of the uh, out of this information that you have at hand? I think it's exactly as we've said, and it, it's about turning the content of the speech into what's relevant for your clients. There's going to be lots of, whether they're individuals or businesses or, you know, limited companies, sole traders, I think there's going to be so many people trying to wrap their head around, okay, well, what does this mean for me? What, you know, okay, take R&D as an example. How, how, how can I be R&D intensive? They said about 40% of your expenditure being around R&D claims, um, R&D uh, spending. But, 
you know, well, how does that work in practice? And and same with the full expensing, replacing the super deduction. Well, how does that interact with the annual investment allowance? And I think things like that, that people won't be sure about. Um, that that's kind of where I see the role of accountants at the moment is being that translator and taking it and saying, yeah, okay, this is the headline, but actually for you in practice, it actually doesn't mean that much or it, or it does mean something significant and you're going to have to do this. Um, I think also the corporation tax and like mitigating the impact of that, being able to advise on some strategies, you know, everyone's feeling the pinch, aren't they? So the, the level of concern around that, I would imagine, is going to be fairly significant. So just, I suppose, that commu- proactive communication and translation piece, really, whether that's direct kind of client conversations or using digital marketing to get ahead of that so if it's a blog or it doesn't even have to be particularly polished you know just some hot takes on LinkedIn or something like that I think lots of businesses and individuals will be looking for a bit of guidance at this point. Well as we said there the devil is usually in the detail of the red book so after this short break we will be going in depth into those tax announcements with a panel of tax titans and we will be uh, finding out exactly what these tax measures mean and looking into the budget beyond the speech. So join us after this short break. There is still time to enter the Accountant Excellence Awards, but the deadline for entries is fast approaching. Now in our 17th year, we are proud to provide a platform to celebrate those individuals, teams and firms that truly embody accounting excellence. Why don't you start your accounting excellence journey today? They are free to enter and there are 21 categories to choose from. Go on, tell your profession why your story is a winning one. Head to accountingexcellence.co.uk to enter. While the pre-budget leaks had spawned most of the surprises on the day, seasoned budget watchers know that as soon as the Chancellor sits down, the really interesting stuff is always in the red book and the overview of tax legislation and rates. So like rushing to gov.uk after the budget to get the real details, we're now going to open our own figurative red book and look in depth at the tax measures with our panel of experts. So I'd like to introduce first uh, Chris Campbell, the head of tax at ICAS. Hello, Chris. Hello, Richard. Great to be with you today. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And we're also delighted to welcome to the show Nimish Shah, CEO at Blick Rothenberg. Hello, Nimish. Hi, Richard. Hi, Chris. Good to be with you. Thank you very much, Nimish. And of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Herbert. Hello, Tom. Hi, I'm still here. <laughs> so let's look into the red book there. There's a lot of announcements in the budget. And so let's look at them one by one. The first one that came up was around pensions. Uh, Nimish, what's your thoughts? What happened here? And um, any interesting thoughts that you picked up around the pensions announcements, which really was the headline uh, announcement from the uh, budget? Yeah, that was the big giveaway, I suppose, in this budget. Uh, and it was part of the package of measures around the return to work incentives where the government and Jeremy Hunt wanted to get the economically inactive uh, back into work to address some of the labour shortages that the country's facing. Now like budgets gone by a lot of this had been uh, leaked in the press before so we sort of knew well we pretty much nailed on knew that the annual allowance the pensions annual allowance which has been uh, at the level of 40,000 since 1415 uh, this is the amount of tax-relievable pension contributions you can you can make in a year. 
had been set at 40,000 for a number of years now. So that went up to 60,000. And the lifetime allowance, which I say it leaked in the media that this was going to go up to 1.8 million, uh, which was the amount of the lifetime allowance back, way back in 1112. So that was set at 1 million. We thought it was going to go to 1.8 million, but Jeremy Hunt, in probably the most flamboyant move of his entire budget speech, which was quite a dull affair generally, said that he was going to abolish it completely, which was quite a surprise. And uh, the day after the budget, I suppose, had been met with some criticism from the opposition saying that this was a, uh, a tax cut for the rich. Now, this, this measure was very much targeted, both these measures, the lifetime allowance and the annual allowance, very much targeted at getting medics back into, uh, into the NHS, senior doctors who had been facing lifetime allowance and, pension, and annual allowance charges with their pension contributions uh, as a result of the way the NHS pension scheme works. And so there was a real deterrent for them to go back into uh, into the workforce. And so these two measures, these relaxations around the two allowances are designed to encourage medical workers back into the NHS. Chris, any complications or challenges that you picked up with pensions? I think um, the, the proof in the pudding will be uh, in the eating. Um, but I think uh, Nimish outlined the, 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 the key issues that, that I was certainly um, seeing. I mean, I think there's a lot of talk about the NHS and how doctors are um, perhaps uncomfortable about working an extra shift um, or regular set of shifts if their pensions um, relief is going to be affected. So I think it was important for the Chancellor to look at that, whether it entices anyone who's already retired in the over 50 bracket uh, back into work um, who are not paying pensions or anything like the levels um, that would be affected, any not paying pension contributions at that level. Um, remains to be seen. Uh, the next one, which I think was uh, one which was trailed before in the the media, I think there's a big campaign around corporation tax, just to make to try and get the chances to budge from the headline increase to twenty five percent was. But um, it seemed like that fell on uh, on deaf ears. That one didn't go ahead. But instead, with the end of the super deduction, the chancellor announced the hundred percent full expensing from the 1st of April. Nimesh, what's your thoughts around this kind of manoeuvring which the Chancellor was doing, where at at one hand he was letting people down about corporation taxes staying as we committed for it to stay, but have this nice thing instead? Yeah, the government had received a lot of pressure, especially from the Tory backbenches, that corporation tax should remain at 19%. And even in some quarters, they said that it should go it should go down even further and, com- and compete with the likes of the Irish regime. Jeremy Hunt, we should remember, during his leadership campaign way back in the summer, a lot's happened since then. He was one of the uh, 11 Tory candidates who said that the corporation tax increase shouldn't go ahead. I think where the government has been at is, in an ideal world, I think they wouldn't have gone ahead with it yesterday. Uh, I think they would have liked to have kept it at 19%. But because of the yo-yo effect of the mini budget, and then what Jeremy Hunt had to do to shore up the markets. Politically, it was just disastrous for them to even contemplate that. And so they had to set their stall out and keep that 25% rate set in stone. And actually, that had received royal assent uh, a a few months ago in any case. What they did in turn was to try and cushion the blow in some way. They said that any capital expenditure would be now unlimited in terms of its deduction. So we have this super deduction. So this new um, unlimited deduction is not as generous uh, as the super deduction, which provided a 130% deduction for any capital expenditure. 
Um, but this unlimited deduction, which uh, which um, is, is set to run for three years, and Jeremy Hunt said that they'd like to make it permanent, um, basically gives businesses a 100% deduction on all their capital expenditure. What the government, I think, is getting at is we recognise that corporation tax is higher than what we wanted it to be. We do want to stimulate the economy. We want to go for growth. And a way to do that is to encourage businesses to uh, to spend more. My concern with that tactic, and this is an eleven billion pound measure as well that's, uh, that 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 is costing the government. My concern is that with with the where energy prices are, we have to remember that the domestic user of energy has had lots of government support, quite generous government support, but businesses haven't had the same level, and businesses are looking over their shoulders as to where energy prices are going to go. And my worry is that with the corporation tax increase and the effect of energy prices as well, which is effective form of taxation anyway, businesses are going to have less to invest. So I am there, there is a bit of a question mark for me as to how much effect, how much value this unlimited deduction is, is going to have actually in practice, in reality. Chris, what's your thoughts? She's, what, what value do you see this, uh, this replacement to the super deduction? I, I think it could have quite considerable value. I mean, we have seen the effects of the super deduction in encouraging businesses who are in a position to invest to make that investment in, in plant and machinery. And also what we have heard from our members and others in, in business is that the delivery times were some of the assets that they were ordering to with a view to receiving super deduction, there were challenges on, beha- on the back of the Ukraine situation, Brexit and all the rest of it. So the, the strict rules that are in place in, in terms of the timing of the expenditure and the Capital Allowances Act could have resulted in some businesses possibly not receiving the the, the tax relief that they might have been expecting. Um, in addition to that, the fact that they are now going to be in a position to claim um, full relief. It's not just the small businesses which are getting the benefits of so the larger business will be able to look at that three-year horizon. And I think doing it over a three-year period is quite good because businesses can now plan with an element of certainty. And the Chancellor also said that it's his intention to try and make the full expensing regime a more permanent fixture in the tax system. The, the devil is, of course, in the details. So the usual first-year allowments restrictions on things like cars and leased assets those that, that type of expenditure won't get the 100 percent full expensing relief so the, it won't be all costs getting upfront relief the other point of course and it was the same with the super deduction as well is that when any assets are sold on which the full expensing relief has been claimed we're back in the 100 percent balance in charge territory um, and that then means that these big companies who could have quite significant capital allowances pools won't be able to spread any clawback of allowances over a number of years. It's going to hit them in the year of disposal. So if they do what the government wants them to do and keep investing in their um, in their business so that other businesses can grow and you know all the plant and machinery processes and the knock-on impacts of that, the, the economy can grow on the back of that, that's fine. But if businesses are going to hold on to the cash, then they're going to be hit um, at a corporation tax rate, potentially, um, as yet unknown. Yeah, I'd, I'd also add, Chris, as well, that the uh, and you touched on this, that the impact of this unlimited capex deduction could be quite limited to large businesses, which you said. So we do have, which is what one of the very few measures that survived from the 
quasi quartet mini budget, uh, the £1 million annual investment allowance. So the government's expecting around 90% of businesses to be covered by that. So it is going to affect and benefit only the smallest but largest number, uh, largest type, uh, largest scale businesses for this uh, unlimited amount. As I agree with you. I think having that three-year window is giving businesses some certainty, which they haven't had over the last few years with the various tax changes to this regime. It was interesting to note as well in the Red Book that in the later years, they're actually expecting to have cash coming into the exchequer as opposed to cash going out. I think it was 27, 28. And the, the detailed costings break down in the in the Red Book. I'm not sure if you've noticed that, Namish. Yeah, there's some there's some interesting numbers flying around there. Uh, I wasn't quite sure about all of them, but that one did stand out. As did um, a big spike in the pensions relief. Going back to the first uh, first question that we that we were asked. So the other thing that also the chancellor announced was the around fuel duty. I think you you mentioned that, Chris. So that's f- uh, fuel duty frozen and the five uh, p cut in petrol and diesel duty uh, that's retained for twelve more months. I don't know. Anything really of note to say there? I think the main thing I would say is that the fuel duty has an impact on the cost of transporting goods for businesses. So not only is it a good move from the point of view of the individuals, uh, taxpayers and, and families throughout the UK, but it also means that when they buy goods and services, the cost of getting any transportation costs will be lower than it could otherwise have been. I mean, it's it's still only a 5p cut uh, or effective cut because it's the cuts being continued um, but there was talk of I think about an 11 pence increase from where we are today and that did make a big difference in terms of the cost of living situation and pressures on families. I guess Nimesh is a, uh, an easy way to get a cheer from the backbenchers really isn't it? Yeah I don't think they could have done anything else it's been customary now so the entire time of the Conservative government going back to the days of the coalition they've frozen fuel duty so it would have been surprising if they'd uh, if they'd done any anything different, especially under the backdrop of of cost of living, I don't think too many people expected Jeremy Hunt to do anything different. And it actually it fell on a bit of a damp damp note because it was so expected that they were going to do it. But nevertheless, as Chris saying, very welcome for households, businesses that 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 reduction in the five p that came in the Rishi Sunak uh, last spring statement last year. If we can remember that far back, and the fact that it's being frozen is is positive for uh, businesses and households. Uh, the other thing that I picked up in the, uh, the budget red book was around uh, this consultation on criminal charges for promoters of tax avoidance. That was kind of tucked away in the red book. Nimesh, we have seen the uh, the government, certainly HMRC, get more and more tough on these um, rogue operators who are pushing uh, avoidance schemes. This seems like it's the next step up. Anything to that caught your eye with this next development? Yeah, so I think this happens again in every every budget statement now that the government has some rhetoric around how it's going to tackle um, tax avoidance, abusive um, behaviour by individuals and businesses and additional funding as well. So although yesterday's funding for HMRC was quite modest, um, around 47 billion in particular to tackle uh, HMRC's debt collection capabilities. But on the subject of tax avoidance and uh, tax evasion, the government has said that the maximum sentence for tax fraud will go from seven years to 14 years. Uh, And it's also going to consult, as you said, on this new criminal offence aimed at the promoters of tax avoidance 
who fail to comply with uh, with HMRC's legislation. And there's going to be an expedited process to disqualify such directors. So they're turning the screw definitely on that demographic. It still exists out there. I Unfortunately, I do see it um, out in the market um, in the work that we do. Um, and we do have a number of clients come to us about how they might address and tidy up some of their affairs because they've been sold a scheme which clearly is ineffective. Um, my worry and concern, I suppose, with these measures is we've had them before. We've been here before with HMRC and the government. And the proof will definitely be how effectively HMRC can um, use these new powers to tackle abusive behaviour by individuals and businesses. Uh, we know that HMRC are really resource constrained. Um, they're, they're bursting with all the demands that they've had. They're still feeling the after effects of the pandemic. And the legislative powers that they've had over the last few years, in my view, I don't think they've used them to their full capabilities to tackle this particular demographic. Chris, uh, picking up on that point of Nimesh uh, just mentioned there around uh, the, uh, the money given to HMRC, there wasn't anything for to, to, to increase, I don't know, HMRC's capacity to deal with the uh, uh, service line issue. I know that was something which um, ICAS, along with another a bunch of other county bodies signed this open letter to uh, urge the Chancellor to uh, give more money to HMRC just to get rid of that backlog, just to increase the uh, the number of boots on the ground, I guess, at HMRC in order to get the uh, the tax department working you know, as it should be, I guess. Um, were you surprised about, I don't know, let's start with, with that around HMRC and the money given there, and also if you want to pick up on that point around avoidance as well. Yeah, well, you're, you're absolutely right that ICAS, along with nine other professional bodies, did write a, an open letter to the Chancellor just in the last few weeks, encouraging him to increase the funding so that the HMRC service levels, which our members and others have been experiencing, could be improved. And as Nibish said, it's interesting to see that they've chosen to give the resources to the debt management, debt recovery angle of HMRC as opposed to the the service levels and our members tell us that regularly they can be 45 minutes waiting on a phone call to be answered by HMRC and then sometimes it has to be passed to someone else to action and it's something that we are raising with HMRC with the various forums that, that we attend along with the other professional bodies. It's something we've also raised with them at their recent stakeholder conference last month where all the professional bodies and other various trade bodies attended. Um, it is clear that HMRC is looking for digital methods to try to find a way of taxpayers engaging with them more easily so that they can leave the remaining people who are answering the phones, etc., to deal with those taxpayers that, that can't do things online. And I think that um, HMRC could possibly achieve that goal, but it needs to be so good. The digital services need to be so good that people want to use them. You know, even if you're not, if you're, uh, if you you're, if you can use them, but won't use them, that you would say actually they're so good, or the service is going to be better if you deal with them electronically. On on the point on um, tax avoidance, it'll be um, really interesting to see the detail in that consultation that that was announced yesterday. ICAS for quite some time has been quite keen to see um, some action in terms of areas such as research and development agents. Um, some of those are not uh, members of a, a professional body such as ICAS um, and as such are not governed by the same level of regulation. 
under the, the PCRT regime. And we feel that the selling of some of these products um, is akin to giving tax advice and should be regulated accordingly. So we'll be interested to see whether anything happens to on that front and also um, on the back of the consultation on the more aggressive forms of tax avoidance that are maybe verging a little bit too close to the ethical line. I agree with that, Chris, completely. Worth remembering, HMRC has had huge amounts of funding um, during, well, post-pandemic, about 600 million that it had in the 12 months to spring 22 to tackle compliance efforts. And the PAC report uh, earlier this year was pretty damning uh, that HMRC had failed to collect around 42 billion uh, of tax through through its compliance efforts. So, uh, for me, the the money has been given to HMRC. I do sympathise with them hugely about the things that have been thrown at them, but I think it really needs someone to come out and look at the structural reform of HMRC, coupled with, I suppose, a wider policy point, which is the tax legislation keeps growing and and keeps becoming more complicated and. Uh, professionals like myself, uh, the professional bodies and HMRC do struggle to keep up with it. And so it makes it easier for uh, tax avoidance, uh, non-compliance and also the the more aggressive avoidance firms out there to continue to play this game of cat and mouse. Um, Next one was investment zones. Nimesh, was it a bit of a damp squib, this one? Yeah, I think so. Um, They're all, I suppose, areas that are heavily in need of, uh, of investments and um, from my perspective, the quasi Quateng budget uh, certainly announced investment zones is much more of a bigger fanfare. I'm not sure that there's too much uh, really to go at. I'm not sure if they will achieve what Jeremy Hunt was talking about yesterday. Uh, and they could end up just um, be- becoming a bit of an afterthought, really, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know if it was a, a bit of a PR stunt on, on the part of the government and the Treasury around this or if there is a genuine desire to, uh, to make these investment zones work. We have seen them before um, and they have had some varying degrees of success, but I am I have to say I'm actually quite sceptical as to whether um, these types of investment zones do really work. I actually did favour the, the quasi-quartang approach on, on investment zones, which were super generous uh, about how they were how they're intended to be designed this just felt as you say a bit of a damp squid so yeah chris sees this this new look investment zones we're gonna have eight in england and four across northern ireland scotland and wales do you think it's going to be a damp squib? Um, I I have to admit, I think um, I'm, I am a little bit sceptical as to whether or not they're going to achieve the great things that the Chancellor expects. I mean, there is talk about extra capital allowances and over and above the allowances that we, we spoke about earlier on. Um, there's talk about SDLT relief. I'm not sure how that would work with the devolved nations where SDLT has been devolved. Um, there's talk about national insurance breaks for employers in those investment zones. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a great believer, and I think there's a lot of merit in the tax system encouraging the right behaviours. I just don't know if it, and it may be in the desire to not appear overzealous in the manner that the the, the quasi quartan budget uh, or mini budget rather was um but i wasn't blown away with it if i have to admit and the, the devil's in the detail i mean it was encouraging to see that there was a, a desire to have these zones throughout the uk so if scotland northern ireland and wales would have um one or at least one and but we don't know the hoops that the 
areas that would be applying for the investment zone status are going to have to jump through. It may be that there's quite a lot of hurdles for the local authorities and associated business groups to to jump through before they can actually apply for that preferential treatment. And we've seen a little bit of that with the, the free ports that were announced just in the, the last few months. Uh, Tom, there was has been uh, quite quiet really in, in tech from this budget, uh, but we did have a little small line on crypto in, in the budget. Yeah, so I think the um, <laughs> being um, being twenty twenty three and uh, you know not not twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. It's a little bit sort of after the Lord Mayor's show, but yes, um, there will be a separate box on the uh, self assessment tax return for crypto, which I I think is good in just in terms of raising awareness of this of this kind of thing because I, I think a lot of particularly uh, younger people who, who perhaps don't do self assessment returns and aren't, aren't even really aware that they exist um but have been trading crypto in in sort of reasonable quantities um uh, so so i think this I, I, that is an interesting one I, I think what would be really good is to accompany it with um more of a campaign about the tax implications of cryptocurrencies excellent yep yeah, it, it was uh nimish anything thoughts on on crypto there or is it just that one line in in the budget there was probably all that really needed to be said and it shows the focus, really, of the uh, the government on that at the moment. Yeah, I think that's right from what Tom's saying. It was buried away in uh, the Red Book, and it's just a signal, again, that HMRC want to just increase the transparency over crypto transactions. So it's interesting um, that in the self-assessment tax return, we're going to have a, a dedicated category for this asset class. Uh, property has something right now, but other than that, uh, it's interesting that a relatively small area and a, and a small number of individuals that do invest in cryptocurrency uh, are going to have their own area of the tax return to go and file that in. But I say it's just a drive for better transparency to support HMRC uh, in their compliance efforts because they do believe that it's being used for uh, tax avoidance and in some cases evasion as well. Let's move on to another one. Apprenticeships was something which was brought up uh, during the speech, of course, the Chancellor's talking about the, the four E's, and one of them was employment. Um, we had the returnership for over 50s. Um, Chris, with the devolved nations, things are slightly different here, isn't it? Yes, I mean, apprenticeships, we've seen um, a slight divergence with things how on the apprenticeship levy in, in previous uh, years, and that the employers in England are accessing the money they spend on the apprenticeship levy more more generally, whereas the devolved nations have tended to um, do their own thing. Um, I think it will be interesting to see how the devolved nations react. Um, I haven't seen a huge amount in the in the red book on the um, returnership, um, for what of a better phrase, um, for the over 50s. Um, I, I, think he, I think the Chancellor might have quite a tricky gig if if people are able to afford to retire you know from the whole work-life balance um culture that people are trying to um be clear about and maybe covid's had an impact and you are aware of many people who have retired early because they can afford to do that and it it could be a 
uphill struggle for the Chancellor to actually see some real traction um, in the way that some of the other measures on things like childcare might result in more people returning to work or working for longer hours than they might have otherwise. One of the overall things, Nimesh, was that it seems like fiscal drag is still here with, from this budget, and that's gonna, probably going to be uh, something that people are going to feel the pinch um, after this one. Yeah, that's right. Uh, again, it would have been wishful thinking to to believe that that Jeremy Hunt would have unfrozen all the allowances. This is a tactic that Rishi Sunak really favoured, uh, the stealth move to drag more people into the higher rates of taxation and uh, I read some research this morning which suggested that the effect of freezing the allowances is 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 equal to a 4% increase in the basic rate of income tax. So it's pretty penal. I wonder whether the government is lining themselves up uh, for a future budget before the election that they'll say that everything's unfrozen because this is due to carry on for another five years. Uh, and it is becoming quite painful for families where all these allowances are frozen. Um, one of my pet hates is the child benefit charge, which has been stuck at 50,000, that threshold since 2013, since introduction. So more and more people getting dragged into those higher effective rates of taxation. Um, there are just so many distortions in the UK personal tax system. You've got that child benefit threshold, the uh, the cliff edge when uh, tax-free childcare ends at 100,000, the tapering. I mean, I could go on. We could use this whole podcast just to talk about all those spikes. <laughs> I think if the government really wanted to address some of the structural issues of the labour shortages, they need to even out that uh, that 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 deterrent really in the personal tax system, uh, because that is hindering and discouraging people going back into the workforce, or actually people even even aiming for progression where they could get promoted to the next level. They could get a nice salary rise, which is always a good thing but they are worse off in net terms because of those distortions in our system. Someone really needs to have a look at that. Um, but I don't think the government has got enough time uh, before the next election to really do it. I hope that the next transformational chancellor will really look at that person, that progressive personal tax regime and try and eliminate uh, those spikes that we've got in our system. Anything else that was hidden in the red book, Chris, that you uh, thought was kind of interesting? Um, I think a lot of the the hidden stuff we've we've, we've probably already uh, talked about. I mean the um, the full expensing. I think there's quite a lot of details in there that I think many businesses who have listened to the chancellor's speech might think, "Oh, that's great! I can get. I know I'm going to get 100% relief on that." But they won't get 100% relief on everything. So assets such as cars, such as leased assets, and for many businesses that might be quite. Um, chunky sums um you know if you've got a car and you go and buy it um in a, in a company and you think you're going to get 100 percent relief or you might only get six percent relief depending on its emissions so um that was that was the main one that, that sort of jumped out at me i mean there's always lots of little details that are, are snuck in there that are probably of not that noteworthy um in terms of broader significance um, I did spot there was something about um, some measures to try and um, the cash basis of accounting for smaller businesses. Um, I'm going to be having a look at that detail just to see how whether it could impact on the um, the clients of our members. Well, I guess to, to wrap things up then, Nimesh, was there anything that was missing from this budget that you kind of would have hoped that it would have been there? Uh, I think for me, I've, I've touched on it already. It was the unfreezing of the allowances um, that that's the one that's been the most painful, I think, for working families. And ideally, in an ideal world, you'd have had um, 
someone be bold and brave and not have that corporation tax increase go through. The critical budget will be the one before the election. That could be the one that we'll see in the autumn. And uh, the government really is going to have to position itself and also react to some of the Labour proposals around abolishing the non-DOM regime, uh, changing the rules on carried interest for private equity executives. There has to be some kind of giveaway. Uh, So this budget in itself was a bit of a non-event. I've been quite critical of that over the last 24 hours. I don't know why we had one, in all honesty, yesterday. It seemed like a bit of a waste of everyone's time, including the government's. Uh, The next one has to be something more dramatic. And I think uh, Hunt and Sunak need to really bring out their A-game if they're going to have any chance of clawing back uh, some of that shortfall in in the polls at the moment. Chris, uh, final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the OTS still being abolished um, is a source of great disappointment for us as a professional body. We would also like to have seen some more incentives for ordinary businesses in terms of the transition to net zero. There was um, some some measures, very small, in terms of extending um, allowances on car char- charge car charging points. And, and so on. Um, but I think with the energy profits levy, um, it seemed to be a little bit lacking in ambition in terms of measures that, you know, they could really be encouraging the dri- a, a real drive towards people moving to electric cars, more um, innovative ideas to help the UK reach net zero that little bit quicker. Um, so that was a main disappointment for us. I certainly concur on the, uh, the, the OTS not being uh, uh, revived. Uh, Tom, any final thoughts from the budget? I think that, to give a, a personal opinion, a sort of Jerry's final thought, <laughs> as it were, uh, kids ask your parents, uh, that uh, every time I've covered a lot of budgets and every time and uh, you sort of see them, see the sort of yaboo politics of all the political point scoring and the sort of tinkering around the edges, adding complications. Uh, but uh, to Chris's point about the OTS, it, it just makes you frustrated at the sort of lack of long-term vision in in, in terms of both um, ta- tax policy, that the tax system, and just the overcomplications that it that's there. And um, you know, you do wish either for Nimesh's transformational chancellor or for tax policy to be sort of put in the hands of, of the grown-ups. Well, well, thank you very much, Tom. A big thank you as well to uh, Nimesh and Chris and, of course, uh, Beth at the beginning of today's show. Uh, but that's all we have time for. So for all your news on the world of accountancy, join us as ever on accountweb.co.uk. But until next time, bye for now. <laughs>